So, yeah, tonight I want to I wanna focus in on um, s- what I want to call self-government. Self-government. And really what that, he, what that is is the ability to lead yourself because it all starts with who? That's right, me. It all starts with ourselves. It starts with, with leading ourselves first. We can't lead other people if we're not leading ourselves, right? So self-government, I mean, that whole concept of 25 lead We'll never be able to lead if we don't lead ourselves. So we have to understand the idea of self-government or self-leading. As we lead ourselves, you know, one of the things that, that we will often say is if you haven't overcome it yourself, if you haven't been able to, to come through it yourself, you can't lead other people there. So if you haven't been successful yourself in that area, how are you going to lead anybody else into that land? How are you going to lead anybody else into that victory? You won't be able to. So leadership does not, I mean, as much as people might think that it starts with leading people, it doesn't. It starts with leading yourself. It starts with leading yourself. So leadership does not start with leading people, and it does not start with getting a position. You know, I mean, I'm sure every one of you probably have a story of someone that you have known that's been in leadership, they've been in a position, they were the boss, or they were the supervisor, or they were something that was in a position, but they were really bad at it. You know, they were not a good leader. And so that's not who we want to be. We want to be good leaders. We want to be people that are influential, but doing it well, doing it the way God says to do it, doing it in, a, in an area where we're not rubbing people the wrong way, but we're actually influencing them to be better. So as you listen tonight, don't be thinking about, you know, oh, I'm so glad so-and-so is here to hear this. No, you got to say, okay, accept the challenge. How am I going to accept this tonight? How am I? How does this fit into my life, and where do I personally need to change? So self-government, self-government. And just because you have a position somewhere, whether it's at your job, whether it's in your church, whether it's uh, uh, in, even in your home, you know, because if we're in a family, then we're leading. If we have children, we're leading. If, if we're a husband or a wife, we are leading in some capacity, but just because we have a title or a position doesn't mean we're knowing it well. So we have to realize, like, I've got to look at myself and say, hey, how do I do this at, at, a, at the best ability that I can? And I'm going to go through that tonight. Self-government. So if uh, you can turn to Proverbs 30, Proverbs 30, verse 20. Well, I probably won't do 27. I'll probably do couple verses before that but as you're turning to Proverbs chapter 30 I want to remind you in Galatians 5 uh, verse 22 is the fruit of the spirit what the Bible calls the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness faithfulness gentleness and what is the last one self-control you know it doesn't say other control it doesn't say control others it says what self-control which is the same idea as self-government it's the same idea when you look up that word it actually means self-mastery becoming the master of yourself 
actually coming to a point where you're mastering the things in your life, not uh, blaming someone else and not looking at other people and controlling others, but it's self-mastery. It's making sure that you are doing what God is telling you to do with life, making sure that, that you are accomplishing and, and submitting to the spirit of God, self-mastery, making sure that you're uh, uh, restraining in areas that you need to restrain in and, and walking in the areas you need to walk in. And, you know, even uh, going back to the idea that just because someone uh, has a leadership position doesn't mean that they're a good leader. Well, you know, in the body of Christ, because we can hit these in so many areas. So I'm going to be... Uh, jumping around a little bit. I might be in the workplace one minute, and then I might be in home in one minute, and then I might be in the church. So, you know, think in your own perspective where you're at and the things that, that you have influence over. But even in the church, you know, the Bible talks about the gifts of the Spirit, right? The, the, the power gifts, the things that are the gifts of revelation, you know, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, uh, or healings, miracles, signs, wonders. You know, and sometimes we, we think just because someone operates in, in the gifts of the spirit, well, they must be mature. Or they must be up there. But the thing is, God looks at character way more than he looks at the gifts of the spirit and i'm not saying you have to pick one or the other but what i am saying is if you read in the book of corinthians you find out that the the, the church in corinth had some major issues going on in their church they had a guy sleeping with his stepmom. They had issues in the church. They were not mature. They had learned how to tap into the and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But the thing is, they were doing some pretty sinful things. So it had nothing to do with how mature they were or how great the, the, uh, of a leader they were. Because it wasn't, that wasn't the case. So somebody can operate in gifts, but it doesn't mean that, that, that they're a great leader. Or it doesn't mean that they've tapped into uh, this, this uh, level of excellence. So what we have to understand is God looks at the fruit of the Spirit, looks at our character, because if he can't use us in the things of character, then we will do more damage than good if we're operating in the other gifts. Because we can, it's just like if you're operating in the gifts, but you're not operating in love, you are like a clanging cymbal. You become an annoyance to people. If you're operating in the gifts of the spirit, but you're not operating in love, just like a, if somebody gives a, a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, but they're doing it out of a spitefulness or they're doing it to call something out in somebody and they're not loving them, then what did they do? They just caused more hurt, than more harm than anything else. So we have to realize the characters, the fruits of the spirit are much more important when it comes to uh, making sure that we're grounded, making sure that God can trust us in position. And I want to be somebody that he trusts. So uh, let's look at Proverbs 30, uh, verse, let's start at verse 24. I'm really going to focus on only the 27th, but I want to read through verse 24 through 28. And it says, four things on earth are small. Yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Bonies are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. 
A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in the king's palaces. So he's saying four things on the earth are small, but they are extremely wise. The one I want to focus on tonight is verse 27. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. Well, what does this mean? And you're probably thinking, how in the world are you going to pull a sermon out of that? Because God, God uses things in this earth to, to be able to give us an example. So that, just like I said earlier, seed time and harvest. That is a visual picture of the spiritual realm of God. That when we plant seed, then there is a harvest. Yes, that's the physical, but it also happens in the spiritual. When we plant seed and our faith is attached to that, we can can reap a spiritual harvest that manifests in the physical. So he gives us physical things that are a shadow of the things of heaven. So in this in this particular scripture, let's look at this. Locusts have no king. That's the first point it talks about. Locusts have no king. No king. Well, what does that mean? There's three things I want to focus on here. First of all, a person that is a leader, number one, if it says that locusts have no king, then that means that that person of lead is self-motivated. Self-motivated. What does that mean? That means that nobody has to tell them to, to get up and get going. Nobody has to be at them and saying, uh, come on, you need to do this today. Come on, you need to, you need, you need to get up and get going. You need to uh, do, you know, accomplish your duties. You know, you have these things on your list today to get done. And, and nobody has to stay on you to make sure it gets done. You are self-motivated. Someone that doesn't have a king, it says, the locusts have no king, yet they advance. Yet they're getting something done. They don't have to have someone over top of them whipping them going come on let's go get this done do what you're supposed to do you know oftentimes we have to you know as we're training children you know we have to stay on them because otherwise we'll tell them something and then we come back and guess what the bedroom's still not clean we walk in i told you to clean your room yeah but um, um i i i had to do this and I had to, I forgot. And you know, you hear like 25 excuses, right? And, and then we have to deal with that uh, in an appropriate way and, and deal with the fact that they're, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. If we let that go, guess what? They grow up and they still don't do at age 30 what they're supposed to do. So we have to teach these things to our children. The more that we teach our children, guess what? When they get to be of an age, these things that I'm going to go over tonight are going to be more natural for them, and they're not going to have to, to uh, dig in and have to overcome it because they've been taught at a young age. I'm, I'm very thankful that my parents, my parents were strict, but at the same time, I understand that whenever they were teaching me, they taught me work ethic. They taught me how to work hard. They taught me how to be self-motivated. They taught me how to follow through with things. And for that, I'm very thankful because if I didn't have that, and then I had to do it now, and I had to like kick myself in the butt at age uh, that I'm at, 32, hallelujah, um, that I wouldn't have, I, wouldn't, I would be struggling more with it now. 
you know, trying to completely reposition myself in structure and systems and routines. So if you teach your children now, then you won't have to, uh, they won't have to be dealing with it later on. And then they won't be wondering why, uh, you know, their boss is upset with them or, you know, why is everybody getting upset when I didn't, you know, I just, I just forgot. I forgot that I wasn't supposed to do that. Why don't they understand? Well, because the boss expected it to be done. He asked you to get it done. And then you came, and then you said, oh, I forgot. I didn't do it, sorry. And then you're wondering why they're upset. So self-motivation, they, they are self-motivated. No one is prompting them, no one is commanding them, but yet they show initiative, initiative. They see what needs to be done and they do it. They don't have to have a king pointing it, at, pointing it out to them. They don't have to say, oh, do you see this over here? Well, this needs to be uh, swept up. And do you see this uh, huge pile right here, this mess that, that's not supposed to be here? Uh, can you get, I mean, like, sometimes it's just about teaching initiative. If you see something that needs done, then do it, you know? So self-motivation. Number two, number two. They advance, they advance, or they progress. So they are self-directed, self-directed. So they move forward by their own choice. They set goals. They, they uh, people that are leaders or choose to step into lead or what I, and what I mean by that, anybody can choose to be a leader. Anybody can choose to be an influencer. Anybody can choose in their family, in their workplace, in their church, in their home, wherever it, wherever it is, they can choose to be these things and to, to incorporate them in their life. So somebody that is self-directed, they, they don't have to have somebody make goals for them. They don't have to have somebody make a list and say, okay, well, this is what, this is what you need to do in order to accomplish this. this they, they'll do it on their own. They'll say, what, what kind of goals do I want to reach this year? What is it that I want to see happen in my home? What is it that I want to see happen on my job? What is it that I need to, you know, if I want to do a business, then guess what? That takes some self-direction and some self-motivation. I mean, business owners, they, they have to do this because there's not going to be anyone telling them to do it. There's not going to be anyone doing the research for them. There's not going to be anyone setting up the bank accounts and telling them what they need to do in order to get the business started. There's not going to be anybody uh, saving the money to be able to purchase what needs to be purchased. They have to do it all on their own. They have to be self-motivated. They have to be self-directed. So a lead person will be self-directed. They will set the goals. They will push themselves towards the goals that they want. So self-directed, they advance, they make progress. They don't stay in the same place. They don't, they don't just hang out and do the same thing, the hamster wheel, year after year after year after year after year, and look the same 20 years later. They make progress. So locus, it says that they make progress. And number three, move in ranks. They advance together in ranks. Well, what does that mean? They are self-disciplined in the sense that they don't mind structure. They don't mind authority. They don't mind discipline because they know that these things are actually good. And this one's a big one because there's a lot of people, they don't want to be directed. 
They don't want authority. They don't want it systems. They don't want structure. They just kind of want to do their own thing. They don't want anybody to tell them what might be good for them. They don't want it, anybody to tell them that, you know, well, in this structure, we have to do it this way because we have found that this is what works best. So being uh, in a position where you're willing to learn, where you're willing to work in a system and, you know, there's a lot of people, even in ministry, I tell you what, uh, we run into a, a lot of people, they just want to do their own thing. They don't want a covering. They don't want anybody over them. And you know what? They crash. So many times they crash because they are out there trying to do something on their own. They don't want any counsel. They don't want any advice. They don't want anybody to tell them what to do. They don't want anyone to, to maybe rein them in whenever they get a little bit off. And they're out there trying to do their own thing, and, and, and they don't get anywhere because they don't have the resources. What they don't understand many times is if they connect themselves somewhere, then they actually gain wisdom. They gain counsel. They gain resources, and they gain uh, an understanding of, of, a, of an army behind them. So it's actually better to have systems in place, systems and structure. Think of yourself, what would you look like without your skeletal system? You'd be a slump on the floor. There would be nothing holding you up. And it's the same thing with, with structure and systems in our life. You know, we've been working a lot uh, just over the past few months on, on uh, systems and structures for the church and, you know, trying to uh, create uh, ways that are, are systematic so that things will get done the, the way they're supposed to get done. Because if it's just haphazard... And it's just like, well, it's just whatever I want to do. You know, it's just whenever I feel like it. Well, then things will fall. Things will crash. And so we have to be willing to be self-disciplined. And not only that, but to also uh, not despise systems, not despise authority, and not despise structure in our life. You know, even with, um, you know, I've homeschooled my kids. Um, they've, they've never been in public school. So, from the time that I started homeschooling them, I knew that I had to be structured. It didn't mean that we couldn't uh, maneuver things around if something came up that day. You know, we do that. But the thing is, a general overview or a general idea, you could, you could talk to my kids and they would know about the time we start, what comes first, what comes next, how long it takes, when we finally end, what our systems are, because there is a, a stealth direction. I know that if we don't have certain goals and if we don't have certain things in place and we just kind of do what we feel like, well, then we wouldn't get things accomplished. We wouldn't get things done. So we know that there has to be systems in place, and we can't despise that. We can't despise the idea that structures are good. Structures need to be in your family. I mean, not every family is going to look the same. There are some wives that are going to be awesome at keeping the checkbook and, and some men that are going to be awesome at keeping the checkbook. That sounds old, doesn't it? Checkbook. People don't have checkbooks anymore. All right. Okay. <laughs> Keeping, keeping the bank accounts and keeping everything straight and doing the savings and doing, you know, all of the finances. And the thing is, there's some people that are just like, well, only the women should do that. Or only the men. The men are the head of the home. They, they, what if the wife is better at it? You know, don't get so systematic and religious that it gets stupid. 
Like, be, be flexible in your marriage. Yes, the man is the head of the home, but the thing is, that doesn't mean that, that he's like, woman, this is how it is. No, because the Bible says that husbands are to love their wives, and their wives are to respect their husbands. It's a two-way street. And if the husband loves the, their wife, then the woman is not going to have a hard time respecting her husband. So it goes both ways. The thing is, having a system in your home so that you know what works best. You know, in our home, it changed over the years. There have been times, you know, when we first uh, got married, um, I was the one that did all the, all the cleaning, all the cooking. And he was working at the time I was going to school finishing up uh, my last couple semesters in school, that's what worked for the moment. And then we had kids. And then I had ki three kids very quickly. So they were very back-to-back -back in age. And, and it meant that sometimes he came home and things weren't spick and span. He was okay with that. You know, there's, there's grace and there's love. And there's, you know, it's, it's okay. It's not a big deal. And there's times that, you know, he would, he would help did it mean that we had to, to work through some of those things? Absolutely, because you're going through new stages. You're going through new things where you're learning like, oh, we haven't been this way before. We haven't been here in this moment before, have we? So we've got to talk through things, and we've got to learn new systems sometimes. We have to learn new structures because what was working before without kids isn't working now. So we have to talk about it. And then, <laughs> and, and so we would sit down and say, you know, there were times when it was like, you know, I really need some help here. Or it would be nice to maybe have a, a little bit of time at the, you know, maybe once a week or once every couple weeks to just kind of breathe myself for a little bit on my own. And, and you know, he would start taking the kids and give me a, a few hours to just be by myself without having to uh, constantly be, you know, oh, you need this, you need that, and this, and these clean, and, 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 and all day long, you know? So there's communication that has to happen. Don't be rigid. Don't be so systematic that you can't ever change anything. You know, have love. Have compassion towards one another. You know, even with our, our team, you know, we sit down, and there's times we're like, what's working right now? If something's not working, scratch it. Let's not keep doing something just for the simple fact that that's the way it's been doing or what we've been doing in the past. Let's reevaluate. Let's look. If it's not working, scratch it. Now let's try a new direction. Does anybody have any ideas? And we, we welcome input. So it's, it's not about just, well, it's been this way for 20 years. This is the way it has to be. No, that's not love. You know, operate in love. Operate in a, in a place where you can talk to one another. You know, uh, both people, sorry, I'm spitting away. Both people have a brain, and they think, and they, they have information they can offer. You know, it, it's about communicating with one another. Setting down, that's, again, iron sharpens iron. So communicate with one another and be okay with advice. Be okay with, with changing something that maybe, maybe your idea isn't always the best one. Maybe your spouse's is. So be okay with changing those things and sit down and talk about it. Okay, so self-government. I know I kind of got off a little bit, but I, but I just wanted to hit on a few things there. Let's turn to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, verse 32. 
It says, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. He who rules his spirit, that's the part I want you to focus on. He who rules his spirit is better than one who takes a city. Now, before I talk about that, I want you to turn to Proverbs 25, verse 28. And we're also going to read that one. 25, 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Or another version says, he that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. He who does not rule over his own spirit. What does that mean? It means that he's not ruling over his disposition. He's not ruling over himself. He's not keeping himself in check. He's not operating with self-control. It means that a person that just does whatever they want to is not operating in self-control. And that person is like a, a, a city where their walls have been taken down or the walls have been busted through they've been breached or or they they are no more well that means there's no protection think about it in the old times they built cities and and around the cities they built big walls thick walls and those walls were for what was it to keep them caged in no it was for protection and it was also very clearly defined where a city was at and and well that's jericho or you know that city over there that's that's the city of i you know it's it, it was to define a city define where the boundaries are to define an identification of something well that means when we have boundaries or when we have things that we will do or won't do in in the in the realm of like self control Control, that means that we're identifying what we will stand for and what we won't stand for. You know, there's sometimes that people, even Christians, they get trampled sometimes because they're afraid in the name of, well, you know, well, it's not, it's not Christ-like to, to, you know, stand your ground or it's not Christ-like to, uh, you know, state your opinion. You know, Christians are just supposed to be tolerant of everything. But the thing is, that's not what Jesus said. Do you know how many times Jesus looked at, at Pharisees and called them vipers and, and like literally came out with some, some things that were just like, bam, uh, very offensive, very offensive to them, called them out. And the thing is, we are not called to have weak backbones. We're not called to be trampled on. Yes, we are to be as harmless as doves, but wise as serpents. He didn't say, check your brain at the door when you come into church, or, you know, when you become a Christian, now all of a sudden you're just supposed to, you know, not think anymore. He gave us brains. He gave us understanding in the word of God so that we could put these things in place, so that we would adopt and renew our mind according to the word of God. And when we do that, then we know who we are. We find our identity in Jesus Christ, in his word. Then we know who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to stand for. Instead of just, uh, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm Irish, so, you know, we just drink. You know, I'm this, we do that. I'm a fighter. I'm a this. I'm a, you know, it's just in my heritage. But God didn't tell us, you know, fight for the culture that you're from. He said, you're from a different kingdom. You're from the kingdom of heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. 
And when you become a citizen of heaven, then that means you take on the identity of heaven. You take on the identity of Christ. That's who you are now. Don't make excuses. Well, this is just my family. This is just who I am. You know, this is just my disposition. This is just my DNA. No, don't be a fool. Like, allow the word of God to change you. Allow the word of God to identify who you are. And then you can be able to walk with, with, a, with a, you know, like a, a backbone and know, like, this is who I am. There's power in the word of God. You can take on the word of God and know who you are and be able to stand with a, with a proudness of Jesus Christ. In the, no, I'm not talking like pride, proud. I'm talking about a, a sense of knowing who you are and who you come from, knowing who your daddy is, knowing the, the kingdom you come from from you come from a kingdom that is more wealthy that is majestic that is more than what we can even imagine that's who you come from that's where you you reside yes your body might be walking this earth now but this is not your home this is a temporary place you reside you are a citizen of heaven you represent heaven you're an ambassador of heaven so that's who you represent so you don't want to be, uh, you don't want your walls to be broken down. A, a man that, that does not allow, and when I say man, obviously I'm talking about men and women. I'm talking about individuals, okay? Don't be all politically correct with me. Like, understand, get the context of what I'm saying. Um, when the walls are broken down, you, you lose, you lose the, the understanding of where the line is drawn. It's blurred, it's like, well, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I stand for, you know. There's no more boundary. I, I you know, I might scoot over here a little bit. And, and it's like all of a sudden you don't know when you've crossed the line anymore because it's blurred. Know what you stand for. Know what the word of God says. Know who you are in Christ. Don't, don't allow the walls to be broken down. Exercise self-control. If the Bible says that we're to be slow to anger, then say, that's who I am. I am slow to anger. I don't get, I don't allow things to just, I don't flip off. I don't, I don't like just let myself go off and have tantrums. You know, I don't allow words to just uh, affect me. I'm not saying that, that, you know, things don't hurt. But I'm, I am saying, have some control. Have some, give yourself some think time. Don't just be like, well, I'm just going to tell them about this, and I'm going to be all, you know, up in their face, and I'm going to tell them how it is. That's not what we're supposed to be like. If, you, if they have so much control over you they, that what they said identified you and, and all of a sudden changed your identification, they didn't create you. That you were not created by them. Why are you allowing them to have so much control over you? So understand, he's your creator. And when you get that revelation, then what someone else says isn't going to impact you that much. Yeah, for a moment you might forget, but then it's like, okay, nope, I can't allow that. I can't allow that to upset me. I can't allow that to, to like mess me up so that I'm responding to this in an ungodly way. And I'm coming out of my identity in Christ and doing this over here. And then all of a sudden I've got a breach in my wall. And now the enemy came in and got a foothold. And now I've got an anger issue. And now I'm turning to drugs. And now I'm, it, it just goes on down the line. 
one blurred line after another after another. When we operate in self-control, see, these are things that we don't talk about a lot of times in church, but man, I'm telling you, this is huge. We have lost a generation to this. We really have, because this generation is very much about just give me what feels good now. Just let me have it now. Let me do what feels good. And they've lost the area of self-control and self-discipline. But when we operate in that, guess what happens? What happens when walls are broken down? Thieves get to come in and steal your treasures. Thieves get to come in and take away what is treasurable or what is, what is your possession, the things that are valuable to you. Well, what does that mean? When you allow the walls to come down, then guess what? The enemy gets to come in and steal your joy. The enemy gets to come in and steal your peace. The enemy can come in and steal your children. They can, he can come in and steal your marriage. It all comes back to whether or not we allow ourselves to operate in, in the spirit or in the flesh. We are to walk according to the spirit. When we walk according to the spirit, it says when you walk according to the spirit, there is no law. Because you can't ever walk so much in the spirit that you do something bad. Because when you walk in the spirit, then you're always operating the way God wants you to operate. So when you do that, there is no law. You can be as loving as you want. You can be as kind and as gentle, as compassionate as you want. There is no law. So don't lose, don't, don't allow your treasures, even your finances. You know, people lose finances because they don't, they allow walls to be broken down. I've seen people, I'm telling you, I've seen people, and they don't see it oftentimes. I, I can't stress this enough. As a pastor, you see a lot of things with people sometimes, and your heart breaks because you know what's going on, but they don't often see it because all they know is their own situation. But when you've seen the patterns of people time and time and time again, you realize what's going on and I've seen people before where they will allow the world they will allow situations to dictate their life and they'll allow it to pull them out of church and within so many months they're dealing with sickness or disease they're dealing with financial strain things are coming in and the enemy is robbing them of their finances robbing them and they don't understand what's going on this is happening my car's breaking down I've got this and it's just like it's all leaking out why? Because they're, they're not upholding the covenant with God, which takes what? Self-control and self-discipline. Because it takes discipline to be in the house of God, does it not? It takes discipline to do what he tells you to do. It's not, oh, well, you know, if I feel it, I'm, you know, <laughs> there was, there was, uh, there have been people before, well, you know, I just wasn't feeling it this morning, and I just felt like the Lord was telling me to stay home and press in and, and you know, just get in his presence. And, and they'll just make up excuses because they, they, they had a bad day, they were tired, they didn't feel like being there. You know, and, and the thing is that, that you can make it sound as religious as you want. But the sad part is, is when you start to see the things happen and you know why it's happening. Because they pulled themselves, understand it like this. When you come under covenant with God, and what I mean by covenant is you're doing, 
you are my disciples and the reason that I know you are my disciples and that you love me is because you do what I say. You do what I command. I was telling the kids yesterday during our devotions, I said there's a lot of people that say they love Jesus, but they don't do anything he says. And there's people that say, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. But they're out there doing their own thing. They're living like hell. I love Jesus. But he says, if you love me, you will obey my word. So it's one of those things where if we obey him, we're doing it because we love him. It's actually a, a way that we show God that we love him. And there's benefits. Forget not my benefits. But the thing is, most people don't know the benefits. So they just think, oh, I just have to do this. You know why I come to church? Because I know when I come to church, there's a covenant there. And I know that it's keeping me under the umbrella of his protection. And so there's a joy in that. I give my tithe and my offering because there's a protection there. It's like, I, it's a visual to me. If I step out of that, I know I'm stepping out and I'm choosing to, to step out under the curse. I'm choosing it by defaulting this. So when I know the benefit, then I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to give. I'm happy to serve. I'm happy to do what I'm supposed to do because I know the benefit is actually mine. I'm getting the benefit of him. I'm getting a protection over my life. I'm getting the fact that, that I'm standing in the shelter of the Most High. And there's a protection there. You know, I've lived in it long enough that I know that if I stepped out, that's a scary thing. Like, I would be absolutely afraid to step out now. I really would, and maybe I didn't understand that, you know, so many years ago, because I didn't. I didn't understand some of these things, and it was only through the teaching of the word and me listening to the preaching around it that I began to understand it. That's why we preach it. It's not so that, well, you know, we want your attendance. That has nothing to do with it, nothing. Our heart is to see you succeed in every area. Our heart is to see you have families that, that are peaceful, that are joyful, that are loving, that are year after year, you're just going higher and higher. That's our heart. It has nothing to do with, with your money. It has nothing to do. It doesn't come to us anyway. Understand that. Understand that. Your giving goes to the church. It goes to the church. And according to scripture, when we give, we're giving to Jesus. It's, it's not, it, to me, it has even, it, it really doesn't even have anything to do with the church. It has to do with God. It has to do with Jesus. I'm bringing my offering to him. He keeps track of that. He keeps track of that. So I know that I'm doing something because I love him. Not because, well, I'm just doing this out of obligation. You know, just, I just hate doing this stuff. You know, it just aggravates me. No, I'm doing it because I love him. I love him, and I am honestly afraid to step out of that because I know, I know what would come up on us now because I've seen it so many times. I've seen it so many times. So don't, don't allow your treasures, your finances, your peace, your children, your family, your marriage to be stolen because you breach the wall because of lack of self-control, lack of self-discipline. And not only that, but you also lose your authority. When you choose to walk in a lack of self-control or a lack of self-government, you lose your authority in an area. Think about it. When, when you respect someone, 
you typically respect them because they have set a standard for the life and they, they create boundaries. They create certain things that they will and will not do. And it's what most people are afraid to do because they want to blend in. They want to look like society. But the people you most respect are the ones that will not cross certain lines. They have, they have a love. They have a genuine concern. But they, they're not going to give this up just to do that. They're not going to step across certain things. They have a standard about them. When you lower that standard, what you're actually doing is lowering your level of authority in that life or in that realm. Or you're lowering the respect that people will have for you. So when you keep your standard high, then other people actually respect that. They will realize, like, you're not a follower. You're a leader. You're somebody that sets a standard. I don't follow the way of the world. I set a standard. And it brings respect towards you. So whenever you decide even the smallest things in life, I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't take things that are not mine. I don't treat people disrespectfully. I show up on time. I do what I said I'm going to do. I, I, I respond to people. I, you know, I, I give them love and compassion, but I'm not going to compromise certain things. When you do those things in life, it brings respect into your life. It brings a level of authority. And not only that, if you do it in the right way and you do it in love, then people want to measure up to that. It's that whole concept even with husbands and wives. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, the thing is with that, that, that scripture, you know, I always thought, man, there's so, many, there's so many husbands that would say, yeah, I'd lay my life down for my wife. I'd take a bullet. Yeah, but would you wash the dishes if she asked you to? Would you, you know, do quit doing something if you know it irritated her? If she talked to you and said, you know, it really hurt my feelings, what you said, well, you shouldn't be so sensitive. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> it's the little things. Christ loved the church, but it wasn't, he didn't just come down and say, well, I'm going to give my life for you guys, so just, you should all just be happy about it. You know, he came down and he like had compassion with people and he, he stayed three years. You know, he could have come down and he could have just been like, okay, I'm here. I got baptized. I went through everything I'm supposed to go through. Now just put me on the cross. Let's get this over with. But he spent three years because he wanted people to know the nature of God because he was God in flesh. We've been talking, uh, the kids and I have been talking a lot about this this week. God in flesh. The word actually became flesh. It's God's word. It's God's nature. What comes out of you, your words, is who you are. It's the, the essence of who you are. Well, God's words are who he is. It's his law. It's his nature. His word became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. So when we read the Gospels, you're actually seeing God actually in human flesh doing and, and responding to mankind the way God would in human form. So when you read the Gospels, read it again and read it like, man, he did that. That's actually God. That God responding to that person that way. He spent three years on this earth showing himself to us so that we would know his love towards us.
so that we he would we would know we wouldn't be blinded anymore from the old testament because in the old testament there had to be a separation between man and god but once that veil was torn he could come and dwell in us he wanted us to know him not know about him and know the law he wanted us to know him to actually be personal with him so those are the things that, you know, when we, when we think about God and, and, and who he is, he, his very nature, he wants us to reflect that. And one of those things is self-government. God does not operate outside of what he is, who he is, who he says he is, what his law is. He can't or he would be unjust. You know, some people say, well, why is this happening to me? Well, it's because of the decisions that you made or the things that you chose to walk in or the, the choices that were made that led up to that. It's not that God is allowing that. It's most often choices that were made. And God cannot just go against his law. God can't just go against and say, well, you know, I know that you did this and this and this, and that's the reason this situation is happening, but I'm just going to uh, come down here and, and just, yes, he can save and he can deliver. And I've seen him cut things short with people, even prison times, because there was a repentant heart and God turned something around and, and made paperwork come to the top and they got out before they were ever supposed to. So I'm not saying God won't deliver, but what I'm saying is we're not to use God as just a fair weather friend where we where well you know I messed up and you know whatever I, I God I'm sorry but there's no repentance we've got to have a change in our life and it comes back to this are we going to walk in the spirit or are we going to walk the way our flesh wants to self-government self-government when we begin to lead ourselves then we'll be able to lead others so it starts with us it starts with ourselves We've got to lead ourselves before we can lead anybody else. And, you know, the thing is, you know, when we started out in the beginning of our marriage and our Christian walk, there were things we had to change. Man, there, and I'm not even saying it stops there because there are still things we have to change. We are ever changing. We are ever changing into his glory. It doesn't stop. So it's not like you get, you know, you hit the 30-year mark and you're like, yes, I graduated. I'm perfect now. <laughs> No, it's like constant change. It, it, it's just it may not be back here in these areas anymore, but it, it, he's still fine-tuning fine you. And the thing is, if you ever get to a point where you think you're good and you haven't changed anything for a while, well, then that's a problem because it's pride. So we, we have to always be open to, Lord, what do you want to do in me? What are, you, what are you wanting to do? That's the whole point with accept the challenge. Lord, do in me. Don't let me sit here and, and constantly be thinking about who needs what. No, this is about me. Lord, what do you want to do in me? Because I want to be the best me.